Flawless fade, brother. Welcome to the Bro Show Live. What is going on, everybody? It's that time again, and we have special guest, Potent Ponic Steve. Cheers. What's up, man? Well, thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Welcome, welcome. Appreciate you coming back. I think you're probably our most uh, tenured panelist now, or uh, guest. You've been back. I think this is the third time. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that they're like, yeah, man. Glad you guys don't get tired of listening to me talk. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, if you're in the chat and you're not familiar with what Stephen does, um, he grows with fishes. He has a podcast, Growing with Fishes. You can check that out. That's really very, very entertaining. He uh, does conferences, lots of educational stuff. Um, so I'm very excited to hear him speak again. He always gets into the stuff and kind Truly of blows your head back so get yeah, a just, notepad out if you're interested and I, I love the regenerative of it is that it just keeps going back in and you know what i mean the fish keep it all happy 
I just love hearing them talk on it because, I mean, it's two of my favorite things. You got, you know, dual root zone, butt chugging, and you have fish. I'd love to be able to do the two, and I just like living vicariously through you. Did you say you want to butt chug fish? If you want to take it that way. As long as it's not a <laughs> porcupine puffer fish, you're okay. Ooh, kinky. You, you know, man, before I got into growing cannabis, <clears throat> I was into reef keeping, growing fish. You know, I, I have a little tiny aquarium that's incredibly disgustingly dirty with one little fish in it right now. But, I mean, that's aside the point. Um, not to digress further, I, I absolutely love aquaponics, man. It's one of the coolest growing methods, I think. You know, I, I've always been a fan of aquatic plant systems, aquascaping, um, just anything that has to do with, you know, br- bridging the, the natural land and water aspects together. And I think it's really cool that, you, you know, Steve, you do it so, uh, let's say, successfully with cannabis. I know that for a long time it was almost thought to be nearly impossible to, like, really grow at scale cannabis aquaponically. You know, I've definitely seen greenhouses of all sorts rolling with like vegetable production but seeing you do at scale cannabis production is very impressive man and it's very cool to hear you talk all the time brother thanks for coming on again well and there's the the whole i've been all over the place and figured out all these ways to do different things from different countries i mean an extremely exotic grower man well, and then the data to back it up, it's not pro science. That's the best part of it all. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 I've done this. Yeah, yeah, I've done this on a large scale. <laughs> it's like nobody has an argument. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it and, uh, and definitely look forward to uh, talking with you guys this evening. I think one of my favorite things going back to just getting high as like a young 20 something, you know, and just reef keeping and staring at the old aquarium man and just thinking about that that cycle between the two plant species there really is nothing yeah, more man. satisfying and therapeutic than looking back at an ecosystem that you created in this little glass box that's just thriving oh yeah and uh that's that's what i ended up uh i was actually just out in michigan at the regenerative conference and um this year i'm kind of talking on how to utilize uh, aquaculture input specifically for large-scale soil or even home-scale soil um, you know how what is it that those uh, nutrients can offer from those fish wastes uh, and I, we, I, we have some stuff that I can show you guys a little bit later uh, on you know some comparisons you know with compost with just regular sorry about the dogs uh, regular water uh, and then versus the the fish waste uh, affluent in composted soil so not even running aquaponics just taking aquaculture waste and applying it to living soil can give you significantly better yields, um, not only in total yield, but terpene and cannabinoid levels as well. Talk it for girlies. Language. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, heard, I heard terpene levels. Sorry, I was staring at your YouTube page. I was going to share that too, but uh, <laughs> wait, how do I increase terpene levels? What'd you say? Is, is this soil or can, can this be used in cocoa? You're muted, Steve. Yeah, you're muted. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, this is data from Aquilitas up in Canada. And you can see um, this was side-by-side uh, side using um, living soil compost. One was watered with just regular old water that was pH and um, 
uh, otherwise use, utilizing a super soil that would give plants all they needed through a whole run. And the other one had aquaculture nutrients. So they took their aquaponic waste, mineralized it and added it to the soil. And you can see here uh, in the two different side-by-sides, they had 3.7 and a 20.4% increase in THC, a 14.3 and 16.1% increase in terpenes, a 37 and 21% increase in dry weight uh, per bud per square foot. And then uh, dry yield per plant was 33% and 20% higher. So, Damn. and that again, this wasn't aquaponics. This was utilizing fish waste with normal soil. <laughs> so uh, even just doing it that that much detached still gives you a, a ludicrous uh, benefit in terms of total yields. Have you tried anything like uh, what Baked was asking in a cocoa situation? Has anyone tried to just irrigate with that kind of a nutrient in cocoa and seen in, how, what those kinds of results are? Sure. So we've had issues with cocoa, um, with aquaponics, because the microbes break down the cocoa really rapidly. So out six to, to eight months, it really starts to get pretty mushy and slushy, and the cocoa just really hard to work with. Um, and that's that's been kind of a challenge. Um, we tried to work with a bunch Rockwell? of different cocoa medias for doing vertical towers. Um, but this is the comparison as well. The um, fish digestate is the mineralized fish waste. Um, and uh, you can see here again across the board you know significantly higher than just about everything else so do you find the same uh, experience with rock wool and that mushiness or does that hold together a lot better rock wool holds better together better in aquaponics um i don't particularly use rock wool a whole lot just because i find that the, we don't we have a hard time getting uh, fungi to colonize it um for whatever reason I don't, they just don't like that media hmm. uh, and we're, we're trying to get for higher fungal colonies um, so that's uh, an issue, I guess. From what I've seen, algae seems to like it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, most of the facilities that we're running will run something like a, a dual root zone like this, where you have the, um, the soil in the upper part of the pot, the, the lava rock in the lower portion of the pot, or hydrogen, whatever, and the roots will kind of grow in between um, both of those. Let's see if I can. This is what happens when you get an educator on the stream. He comes prepared with like slides and stuff. <laughs> presentation. So this is, this is media that only this is with dual root zones. So I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to explain which plant is going to be healthier. So the bottom plant here, this is this is the very first side by side we ever did with this technology or this method, I guess. Um, and the bottom plant had 44% more flower sites and 38% uh, more tomatoes and had ripe tomatoes ready two weeks before the other plant did. So it, it's just, it's not even a, a fair fight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so this is another one too. So this is unsupplemented dual root zone pots versus supplemented dual root zone pots. So you can see, you know, just a little bit of nutrients, you know, even 10 to 15% additional nutrients makes a night and day difference. And that's what, like a top dress, or there's a liquid nutrient yep. that you're learning. Oh, okay. Yeah, just top dressing into the soil. Yep. Nice. And then for mass scale, oh, I had it right here. Where is it? Yeah. So this is the method we're using for mass scale. So we run half inch or one inch manifolds with half inch top outs. Um, this automatically air purges the lines, so you, it prevents any venturi action because it purges up and out. Uh, and then when we flood this, uh, because all of them are even in height. It just overflows uh, up and out, kind of like an overflowing cup. So we can run almost extremely exact um, water amounts across 140, foot, 120 foot lengths 
and, and basically maximize the amount of water that we're utilizing without watering any additional amount that's going to dribble through and affect the fish water, which is flowing across the bottom. Um, it's also good for hydro setups if you want to use no more water than you need to. But uh, I'll actually have a bunch of video from this facility in April. Um, we're going to be bringing the rest of it online. So Nice. So how many gallons does a, a system like that take? <laughs> Was that a, a greenhouse? Yeah, so this whole system that I just showed you is 60,000 gallons. Okay, uh, and that is that, um, you know, do you have to chill that? No, so that a lot of the plumbing is underground, so okay. it helps keep it cool and regulated temperature-wise. Excellent. So we end up in the you know upper 50s, lower 60s, um, you know, to, to chill it underground, and then it, it gets heated up a little bit when it goes through the greenhouse and through the fish house but uh, into the 70s. But even then, the, the average temperature ends up being between 66 and 70 year-round. Do you, do you bury any of the storage tanks or anything? I saw a few of them sitting out there next to the, the tables, if you will. Yeah, so the this facility here actually has a sump tank in the lowest greenhouse, uh, and then all the plumbing is is I'm sorry, all the plumbing is buried underground that goes up to the main fish house, and the fish house is its own. There's uh, ten fish tanks in the upper fish house. I could actually pull up pictures of it actually, rather than explaining it. Hold on a second. Are you how far underground are you guys going? And and if you don't mind me asking, like you know what kind of geographically are we we're we speaking here? Because you know most of us being from Michigan, obviously we have. Uh, you know, certain depths we have to bury out to worry about freezing and things like that. And, um, but geothermal, it's excellent to hear you're taking advantage of that because I can't imagine the chilling power it would take, you know, to, oh, yeah. to manage that in the summer. Well, so this one's in Georgia and it's also at a high altitude in Georgia. So it's kind of a weird, um, I guess, less common grow compared to most others. Fair enough. Uh, one second here. I can pull in a picture up of the whole facility. Here we go. So this is the whole farm here. And this is the, we actually had a really good inspection the other day with the state. But, so the fish house is up here and this is the filter house and then upstairs is for drying uh, and there's a bathroom and stuff in there and the filtration's downstairs. And then the water flows underground into this greenhouse and then down into this greenhouse and then it pumps from down here back up there. We're gonna add more greenhouses going down the hill. And then there's going to be a processing facility um, put, built right here as well. Excellent, dude. That's awesome. Uh, uh, like what, 20, 20 by 100? How big are those? Uh, those are 140 foot by Holy smokes. Uh, 40 foot, I believe. <laughs> That's awesome. They're big. That's awesome. So is all of it going to go to processing? Is that what you guys are going to plan to do with it? And are you processing it for you know distillate? Or are you processing it into, tell me about that. Sure. So most of it's going to, you know, we're going to sell as much of it as flour as we can. And the rest of it will go towards edibles. Um, so do you guys need to do light depth down there? Um, so they will in the summertime. So each of those greenhouses, actually, that was before they put the, the light depth on it. But they do have full external light depth systems for them. Hell yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, we'll be firing the whole place up here in the first sometime between the, the 21st of March and the, the 5th of April. I'm not sure exactly when yet. Well, good luck, man. That looks like a pretty legit, awesome, and you know, I, I you know, dare I say, somewhat sustainable. To be honest, um, I'd be interesting to see what comes out of that, especially after the uh, the processing center gets built and stuff. But quite frankly, I'd love to be able to have some greenhouses, you know, feeding a processing center. <laughs> is there going to be a processing place for the fish too, or is that something that they're going to have to do, like sell them live? They still have to use that loophole. 
so we actually have multiple um, tax licenses there. So this is inside the fish house, just to give you an idea of the what lo it looks like inside. It's a minivan size uh, sump tank. <laughs> Holy um, cow. Jesus. Yeah. I'm trying to show you the rest of this. Is that just filter material I'm seeing inside the tanks? Yeah, it just yeah. actually, there we go. So those are 1,200-gallon uh, fish tanks. Wow. So there we go. So there's the whole rest of it. So this room where the moms are is going to get built out into a separate room just for biosecurity. Um, but for now, we're just utilizing the humidity off of the, the fish tanks to keep the moms happy. Uh, and you can see he's he's really good at the, the plant crafting in terms of the moms. And they needed a little bit of a prune in this video, but he's decent at it. Um, and then uh, they have a separate clone room on the side. Uh, did we walk through that already? Anyways, um, yeah, it's a cool facility, and they're going to be expanding. Um, but they're one of the more advanced facilities out in Georgia right now in terms of uh, moving towards sustainability. But they'll be able to support six greenhouses off of this building, uh, ultimately. Heck, yeah. So so you say you use 60,000 gallons. It's, that just recirculates pretty much? Yep, so that's how it works is the fish house recirculates, uh, and then that water off of that loop circulates down to the greenhouses. But if we have an emergency, we can shut off that and just circulate the water in the fish house and keep them warm uh, in the event of a power outage or something like that in the middle of winter. Uh, we can run them separately if we have to uh, with just a few valve turns. Um, but most of it normally circulates across the whole hillside there. Yep, takes about three hours for it to circulate from one end to the other. Do you, do you get a lot of evaporation and, and do you ever have to do uh, water changes? Sure. So we, uh, we occasionally will take about between one and 5% of the total water volume off per year, um, just for um, export of things that slowly build up in the water. But in general, we don't really need to. Um, we're running okay. fish loads and plant loads that are enough to balance out the, you know, the uptake. So we don't have an issue. Um, so we don't really have to do any water changes. But in terms of evaporation, we lose between 0.4% and as high as 1.2% uh, total system volume per day. Um, to evaporation if it's a cooler day or overcast we're looking at that 0.4 to 0.6 uh, if it's a really hot day you know 0.8 to 1.2 percent of that total system volume will be lost to evaporation but also the plant uptake remember the plant's trying to cool itself down so it's going to suck up more water and you're going to have just more water use through the plant trying to evaporate water through its tissue to cool itself down as well so it's not just being evaporated off at a higher rate when it's hotter it's also being transpirated faster as well okay and then are you re reusing all of that, let's um, say, dehumidification water, like whatever you're taking off? I, I saw a quest in the in the one room. Or oh, quest yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we just, we just run that back into the sump tanks and, uh, and recapture it for the indoor. And then for the outdoor, we usually just vent in fresh air from outside. In Georgia, we almost never have it too cold, except for the wintertime, which is, you know, we can deal with that in a different way. But um, most of the time it's not too cold. So we just vent in fresh air and it's not really a big deal. Steve, what so, led you to the system in the very beginning? Like, like this is extremely extensive. And did you, did you come up with this? Did you learn this from somebody? You know, it, it's just, sure. it's amazing. Sure. So for aquaponics, I got into aquaponics originally back when they were called river tanks back in um, reptile keeping. I've been working in the pet trade since I was 12 years old. 
I always loved keeping lots of different types of animals in one enclosure. So I always like to have live fish in any of my animal enclosures and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then also realized that having live plants and stuff like that, especially reptile enclosures, makes them smell better, right? That you have the microbes and everything that are breaking down all of that stuff so it doesn't stink, it doesn't smell bad, the water stays cleaner. Um, so that, you know, it was kind of a no brainer to, to get into that. So I really got into river tanks for a while and then I got into cannabis growing and, and uh, I was running a big nursery in, in, in Philadelphia for a while that did quite a few different things, but we had a eight different large greenhouse bays. And then um, I got offered a job out in Colorado working for some, for some friends of mine doing cannabis. And I kind of wanted to do it legally finally back in 2010 and then decided to make the jump. And then, um, uh, had all this different experience with water chemistry and plants and cannabis in particular, but then ended up after the floods happened in Colorado, it was in 2011 or 2012. We had the really bad floods there that carved up the whole front range. Um, I lost my job where I was working at because they had a bunch of damage. Um, so I ended up applying for a job and working at the aquaponics source and already had a background on all this. And it was pretty easy to kind of see where some of the gaps were in the chemistry on the aquaponics side with cannabis. And then um, I bumped into a, a guy that was doing rock wool on top of the um, uh, media in pots, kind of like a dual root zone, but he wasn't using soil. He was just using rock wool. And it kind of gave me the idea of combining those two different root systems and then started working with the living soil because all you guys already know about how awesome living soil is and the different benefits that that has. So hybridizing that with the aquatics really was uh, you know, a huge difference in, in plant production and uh, after about three, I guess it took us four runs now that I think about it, to finally match all of our controls in terms of yield. And after that, we just kind of started tinkering after that. When a pot's done, is it um, just reused or do you like empty that pot out and like blend them together and, and reset that soil? Or is there actually a pot that you may have used for over a year? The sure, living so we don't so much in commercial just because of the chance of pathogens and stuff like that. But certainly on home scale, I know Marty's done ones where you just cut the stalk and put another one right, <laughs> right next to the base of the, the stump of the last one and, and kept growing. But um, in general, we'll take it and all the commercial stuff that I work with, at least we have a layer of burlap between the, the soil and the media. And what we'll do is once we harvest, we'll take all those pots, let them dry for three to five days, usually over a weekend or we'll harvest on Thursday, let them dry out till Monday or whatever. And then once it's dry, you can pull that burlap and soil off, you know, most of the time or most, you know, the vast majority of it right off the media uh, and separate that, that way. And then basically just compost back, back that soil uh, for, you know, <coughs> you know, a, a run or two until it's broken down, hit it with liquid IMO, put your nematodes on it uh, just to make sure that you have a good base and a, and a good resistance and that you're not carrying anything over from the previous run. And then we'll just reuse it. Usually we like to have three or three to four different cycles of soil for a given facility so that they always have, you know, two to three that are composting while one's sitting in the rooms. Um, that seems to work really well. We haven't had any issues. You know, if you don't know what you're doing, root aphids can definitely bite you in the ass. But um, we've kind of, after having a ton of experience with them here in Oklahoma, uh, we've, we've kind of got those figured out now. So I just heard of a product that you can get from Copert. Um, yeah, it's called NoFly, N-O-F-L-Y. Yep. It's, it's a form of uh, Iceraceae. Um, I've heard that's very uh, effective on root aphids. Uh, yeah. The flyer. Fumaraceae. Yeah, so that's what we use. We usually use for a, a combination. So we usually use uh, PFR97 or the NoFly, uh, and then we'll alternate that with like um, uh, a Velifer or a um, 
Botanigar ES, like a, a Bavaria bassiana. Uh, and then if you have access to it, a Metarizium. If you do a, re a rotation of those for two weeks and you're hitting them like every other day, every third day, you just keep hitting the root zone, knock them down, and then uh, give the plants a rest for three or four days and then bring in a bunch of rove beetles to fill up, finish off any of the survivors. And the nice. rove beetles will hunt down anything that survives. And that combination seems to... I've tried the uh, everything else you can think of the um aphidillus irvi aphidillus um uh whatever the fuck the other one is i've tried a whole bunch of aphid predators i've tried you name it i've tried it that that particular combo of knocking them back for two weeks and just releasing rove beetles once a week for three to four weeks after that that seems to work really well at exterminating them because you have to knock the numbers back down to one or two percent and then send in the, the beetles just to hunt down anything that survived. But that that really has worked successfully at a couple of facilities I worked at. What kind of numbers are you just a regular release rate That's at those rove? Are you too. going heavy? No, heavy with the rove beetles. I'm releasing okay. two to three times what they recommend because I'm trying to exterminate, you know. I want the or aureus. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing you can do is rove beetles with aureus if you really want to be sure. Uh, again. Oh, yeah. They're not the cheapest things to buy, but you know they no. will hunt down and kill anything in the room, and they can fly. That's the nice thing about both of them is that they can, if they're if they find a plant, there's nothing on it, they'll fly to a different part of your room and go looking, you know. So I've got a question. It's pretty broad, but I think it's important for most of our viewers. It's like, what could the average person do for step one? in aquaponics is, is it as simple as i can use some you know a home person could use like that when they change their water they could take and maybe bubble that and use that or exactly. is there another process they can do no i think that if you're just getting started and you want to increase your terpene levels uh, of your plants at home and increase your you know resistance of your plants to especially molds um just take your fish waste when you do your water changes and you, you gravel vac take that and then just brew it up for 24 hours if you have some liquid imo Add some liquid IMO to it just to inoculate it with those extra microbes. If you have some mammoth pea, that's another one that does really well with, uh, with fish waste in particular. You get up to 30 to 40% more phosphorus from fish waste by having phosphorus bacteria. Uh, also, I mean, if, you're, if you like to brew your own PSB or uh, uh, PS, uh, P, PNSB, I think is the other one, uh, non-sulfur phosphorus chelating bacteria whatever i don't know sorry I'm a little bit <laughs> yeah i don't I can't it's not something it i fuck with very often but um, any of those phosphorus chelating microbes work really well with fish waste um, but liquid imo obviously being the best for sure is there any worry with like a lot, there's a whole slew of chemical products now for the fish caping hobby not alone the medications that people use is there any worry for that uh for our plants if we're can do or is like should you wait a couple weeks if you have to treat your tank for something i mean like tetracycline or something it would depend on what you're treating right so like some of the fish medications are like maricin or orthotracycline or some of the others that are very you basically the same ones you're getting for humans like if the apocalypse happens and shit hits the fan like the pet store is a great place the fish medication aisle is great for antibiotics like i didn't tell you that but it is um, people used to buy it all the time when I worked in the pet trade, at least once a week, someone would come in and buy it for that reason. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. But um, so those ones definitely can, not so much that it's dangerous, but I don't know what the residuals left in the plant material are. And legally speaking, you're not supposed to do that. The only medication that I'm aware of that are, is legally allowed is a cattle medication that's um, certified for aquaculture called Prohibit. 
um, that is safe to use as an antibiotic that is regulated for plants destined for human consumption. Um, that's the only one off the top of my head that I'm aware of. But we found that lactobacillus works really well, especially for treating fin issues, eye issues, lip issues, gill issues, uh, anything ex external and bacterial. Uh, lactobacillus works really well. So you can actually take labs and use it a one to one, a one to 1,000 or a one to 800 dosage uh, in your aquarium and actually works really well for eliminating that. We've actually did a couple trials of bluegill. Bluegill beat the shit out of each other. When you raise like 800 or 1,000 bluegill in a 1,200-gallon tank, they don't get along all that great, right? So they tend to beat each other up quite a bit. And they end up getting secondary infections, fin rot, and things like that. So you usually lose like one a week or something like that. It's pretty normal for aquaculture producers. We were actually started feeding the, the cheese from the labs. We just kind of broke it down to a smaller chunk. So it was the same size as their food. And we fed it to them, completely eliminated the, the random fish deaths. Um, because they weren't getting that secondary infection on the fins. They might rip each other up a little bit, but they're not getting that infection afterwards. Wow. That's fucking brilliant, man. That is great because there are certain, I believe it was Canada, they couldn't get a lot of uh, fish medicine up there. They had to basically rely on natural remedies, and they didn't have a lot of products. We had that um, in Zimbabwe. In fact, I can pull up, uh, hold on, I'll show you guys something. You guys will like this. So this is something I think is one of the most important things that people need to be like focused on in terms of um, Korean natural farming or just natural farming in general. So, uh, and mainly with people that don't have access to resources. So if you're in Africa, I was in Zimbabwe. If you're in um, the islands or wherever else. So this is IPMO. So this is indigenous predatory microorganisms. So you're gonna collect it the same way you would in IMO one collection. So with your rice, uh, but instead of a kilo of rice, we're going to use 700 grams of rice and 300 grams of other insect frass. Or in the case of when we were working in Zimbabwe, we had the kids collect a bunch of grasshopper corpses. Uh, so we had about 300 grams of grasshoppers that we took. We blended them in with the rice. We cooked it down about 80% of the way. We put out our rice collection boxes and we were able to collect the microbes locally that fed on the chitin and the exoskeletons of the, the local insects that were the native ones to that area. Um, uh, the, here's the recipe, if you guys want the recipe for it. I actually have a video uh, I'm going to be doing on my, uh, I'll be releasing first on my Patreon, but uh, we'll have a bunch of step guides and all the rest. It'd be much more in-depth than this, but just as a quick and dirty, if people want the recipe, recipe, I want people to get this out there and share it. Um, I think it's super important because this allows people that are in poor countries to not have to purchase pest control, at least for larger arthropods, your grasshoppers, your beetles, uh, your, your anything larger, um, your weevils. Uh, this works really good on. Um, and it's, again, just like IMO1 collection, taking it to an IMO2 and then using that as a liquid IMO spray works incredibly well as an insect application and you can spray it all around your garden on an outdoor but i would never work in an outdoor cannabis garden again without utilizing this tech uh, for sure it is one of the most groundbreaking things because for a couple of bucks per acre you can treat the whole thing for pests uh, there's nothing else that comes even close at the acre scale in terms of application rate um, the downside is be careful if you're utilizing it with um, uh, pollinating plants so we happen to utilize this on some squash and we found some bees in the in the surface of the soil that were completely covered in uh, the local predatory fungi. So um, be mindful of, of utilizing this in your vegetable garden. You can totally use it in the vegetable garden, but use it appropriately, not on stuff that you're trying to get pollinated actively because you might accidentally 
um, you do some harm. That's some amazing knowledge. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm then, glad that we could share screen on it too, so people can go right. back and actually write that down. Yeah, that's fantastic, dude. Thank you. The yeah, same thing that it did to that bee is what it would do to you know everything else. All those yeah, grasshoppers. The cucumber beetles, Japanese beetles, uh, grasshoppers, um, anything that's like that larger, you know, uh, uh, arthropods, larger insects that are, it doesn't work on mites that we've found yet. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll definitely tell you that, but we've had great luck with six-legged insects. And you just spray that on and, uh, and veg and yep. how long does it like, you know, last on the plant? It's you know similar to the variabasiana, so you got you know twenty four to forty eight hours worth of efficacy, um, but it's really good for kind of carpet bombing your local area. You know if you have a field or a bunch of plants outdoors, spray your plants, but spray all the grass and all the the stuff around the plants as well, because all you're doing is inoculating the area with the local microbes that would naturally feed on the stuff that it's going to feed on your plants anyway. You're not you're not there's zero risk of harming the local microbes or the local insects or the local you know, ecosystem because it's nothing that wasn't already there to begin with because you collected it from there. You know what I mean? Would it, would it, would it, uh, destroy like a praying mantis? Yes. I got praying manti. I yep. don't want to kill. Absolutely. Uh, it would. Okay. So I got to watch my spread. Yep. Same thing with the rove beetles. It'll go after your rove beetles, your aureus. Cool, cool. So, so with aquaponics, I think I remember listening to a podcast with you on it. And there's, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot more variety of, of microbes or bacteria in water, you know. And ha have you guys found anything interesting, you know, with this greenhouse, you know, project and everything, like with microbes? I don't know if you look at them or have a microscope or anything. So in the when the United so the USDA tried to make aquaponics not uh, organic certifiable for a while, a couple of years ago, uh, they did a big um, DNA study based on uh, looking at living soil and in different farms that was organically certified, and then they looked at the diversity in aquaponics, and they found that on average the aquaponic systems were 168% more biodiverse in terms of total number of species, um, and it actually was one of the biggest reasons why we were allowed to keep organic certification. You know, we were literally okay. almost, you know, 150, well, over 150% more biodiverse. It kind of makes it hard to say that it's not organic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. That's really is, cool. Is there been any standouts that you can only, that you, that you may have isolated or you've noticed that seems to be one that is always, you can find it in the aquaponics, but it's never found in the soil that you might attribute so, to some of the positive so we're know. not sure on that. Uh, I totally think that there's a certain microbes in it that are um, uh, good for boosting CBD. We've seen CBD, THCV, CBGV, um, uh, CBDV. All of those have been boosted significantly in, in aquaponics uh, against soil controls. But in terms of species, I actually do have some slides on that uh, as well. I have a bajillion slide decks, so it makes it easy. Um, but here's <laughs> a, good, a quick list of a bunch of two different uh, studies that were done with different microbial species. I mean, you can kind of look through and see this, you know, different ones in the fish waste versus the plant roots versus the biofilter versus the, the rearing tanks and the effluent tanks. So, you know, there's quite a bit of different diversity across the system. Uh, it's not so much the same um, hierarchy of microbes throughout the system. Each different zone of the system has a, a lot of different diversity. And that's one of the weirder things about it when it comes to um, these types of systems. 
That's, yeah, that's neat. Like, so I noticed there you had like a biofilter. So have you ever like, you know, I assume you change out your filter occasionally or something. Do you yes, ever sir. take your filter and use, you know, that, that crap on it? Sure. So we actually take the fish waste from the radio flow filters and we'll put them in mineralization tanks. So this is a, a diagram of mineralization tanks here. Um, so this is a cone bottom tank. We fill it up with fish waste till it's a, um, you know, I don't know, a couple inches above where we're going to drain it out and usually three to f six inches, depending on how large the diameter is. Um, and then we'll fire it up and brew it for 36 wow. to 72 hours uh, on longer brews. So say if it's in flour, we'll do anywhere from 10 to 14 days in order to get rid of the nitrogen um, because the longer I brew it, the, the more denitrification I get. So in flour, we don't want to tighten nitrogen, right? We're trying to dial back that nitrogen as we go along. So I'm going to do longer brews as we go into the um the uh flowering process and then we'll shut it off for two to three hours all the fish waste and solids will settle out to the bottom we can siphon off all that clean water uh, add that right back to the plants allow that to fertigate the plants and with this hyper mineralized water and then we'll go ahead and, and you know add top it off again and keep mineralizing and mineralizing and mineralizing uh you know until it's all gone when it says separate what, what just settle let it settle yeah basically it just settles okay. Uh, and then this siphons it off above the waistline. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a big tip. Well, my longer, mind is long longer, bre longer of... brew for flower newts. Yeah, get rid of the nitrogen, yeah. man. That's I awesome. had no clue about that. Yeah. yeah you can wild. actually do a methodology as well by feeding your acetobacters, right? So uh, alcohol feeding microbes are also high in nitrogen, are good at nitrogen fixation and um, breaking it down. So um, in, in aquariums, you do something called vodka dosing, where you do a shot glass per 80 to 100 gallons, depending on the stocking density um, for reef tanks yeah. to reduce nitrogen and nit nitrates in particular, um, because it keeps it in that, that less uh, toxic form. So you, you can always do that as well in aquaponics. You know, you can always dose with vodka and reduce your nitrogen as well but it's a more extreme thing but chemically it does work yeah yeah i remember reading i used to have a reef tank i remember reading about that i never tried it though but because it just seemed crazy but yeah it definitely is a thing honestly just didn't want to waste it <laughs> yeah so steve how long have you been growing this way like how like how many years has it been now that you've been preferring sure. this method? So I'll be, this will be my 10th, I guess, 10th year in the legal market. Oh no, 12th year in the legal market. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And this so, is your, like, this is just your absolute above and beyond everything. This is Yeah. I, I also work with living soil as well. So mm -hmm. it depends on the client, but most of the time right. I'm going with this for the most part. Um, this is the biggest so uh, ones that we have. These are eighteen hundred gallon brew tanks, just like I showed you, but they're eighteen hundred gallons. <laughs> wow, this that's is very, huge. Uh, yeah, these tanks are like twelve feet tall or fourteen feet tall. I love that vortex brewer on the bottom there. So what is it? Detached to what air? I can't see. How is it agitated? Are you just throwing a pump in? Yeah. There? So these the vortex there's brewer. a a one inch air line that comes in through the top that goes all the oh, way to okay. the bottom. Here. And they also have a, they can run water or air through the bottom as well. So they can just straight bubble from, from the center of the bottom if they want to. I see you're monitoring it with a blue lab. What, uh, what are you looking for? Like high PA, what, just watching the pH mainly? Total uh, pH and temperature and total parts per million, especially if we're going to 
you know, brew it up with um, some other additives along with the microbes. Uh, we don't want to make it too hot or the plants tend to get pouty. So, Okay. okay. What pH are you typically, uh, you know, settling at before you put it back in your system? Sure. So we're aiming for a six, well, in the brew tank, 6.2 to 6.6, .6, but ideally 6.6 .6 if I had to pick a number. Wow. Yeah, you'll actually get better microbial colonization at higher pHs. So if you're starting off a new system, doesn't matter if it's hydro, living like living hydro, or um, you know anything else, you start off at like six point six or seven, and let that microbial colonization bring that pH down to the low sixes, uh, and you'll have a much better, uh, faster microbial colonization than trying to do it at a lower pH. Um, it'll take you know extra couple days. For an indoor system, what kind of uh, temperature are you guys dealing with? Of the water itself, I should say. 68 to 72, ideally, for the water temperature. Sometimes we'll get a little bit warmer than that. Um, it's not ideal, but it happens with the greenhouses. There's not much I can do. Mm, yeah. <laughs> but I will say that if you do have to run hotter temperatures in any type of system, adding labs completely eliminates the pythium and the random you know, root rot issues you get with the hotter water temperatures. We actually had a system that was running in the low 80s because of a chiller failure, and it was going to be two weeks or three weeks before the chiller parts came in, and we were able to keep the system completely alive with just lactobacillus, even though the water was like 82. <laughs> we had to oxygenate the shit out of it because hot I was water gonna say, no oxygen. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how many uh, air pumps did you have running in that thing? Because that's that's be, you know, that would probably be the first thing I would do, I guess. We had two, three horsepower blowers going into that. Nice. <laughs> nice. Three horsepower. Nice. <laughs> yeah, we use big blowers for these. One other thing I would say, if you are doing larger scale blowers for brewers or anything else, if you want to save maintenance on parts and on time spent maintaining the damn things, build a wooden box around it. And on three sides, the, the top and the two sides, measure out whatever the cheapest standard size um, furnace filter is at Home Depot that you can get and just make it that size so you can slip three of those in and just let it intake through that and you'll get an extra two years out of your blowers. Uh, we used to do it in the pet trade all the time for big aquarium systems and it, it seriously, it'll, I mean, you'll get years longer uh, out of your blowers. Anyway, it costs you, you know, once every six months you swap the filters for, you know, a total of $8, you know, big deal. Insider tip. So, uh, Coon, Coon word in chat is saying saponins aren't safe for fish. I, I've heard about yucca yep. being toxic. What yep. about aloe? Because I've personally fed aloe to like my shrimp tanks, and I've also seen water conditioner now with aloe vera in it. Sure. So, aloe isn't a problem. Um, it's just saponins in particular. So, there's not, to my knowledge, there's not a ton of saponins in aloe, and someone can correct me if I'm wholly wrong on that. But I don't think there's a lot of saponins in it. There's a lot of silica in it, but not a lot of saponins in it. Uh, that I can recall an aloe. Okay. But yeah, soap nuts or uh, what's interesting is, you know what else? Speaking of things that are shrimp safe, um, beetle nut extracts. You know, beetle nuts, the thing the crazy Asian guys use to like rot their teeth out and get high on. That stuff is really good at killing planarian and, and, and nematodes. So if you have like um, nasty nematodes in your soil, they're like root knot nematodes, you can actually get the shrimp a planarian treatment which is just a beetle nut extract. It's a liquid beetle nut extract and actually use it in your soil, organic soil, and it won't have any negative effect on your plants. And it'll get rid of your uh, root knot nematodes. And it's a, 
you know, something that's natural if you want to stick to natural or solutions. But it's used all the time in the, the for those fancy little um, shrimps uh, for killing the planarians that eat the babies. If you take a shot of it and swish it around in your mouth, will you get high? I don't know. I, I can't answer that one honestly. I, I, it's just one of those like drugs where it was like, I don't want to rot my teeth out. Like I already have teeth that are about to fall out. Like I don't need to cause new reasons, you know. Don't answer that question as your non-official lawyer. <laughs> Allegedly, I busted my jaw when I was younger, and I had to have my teeth put back in skin graft to keep them in. So I don't want to gamble with that too much. Oof. So if you came across anybody in your journey that's like closed the loop where they're basically just bringing in the canvas plant, they're not feeding the fish, they're not bringing in nutrients for the plant, no supplementing or anything. So the problem you, so, okay. So I've definitely had to close the loop in terms of taking the biomass from the plants, feeding it to insects that we could feed back to the fish and closing that completely. But and in Jamaica, we had to do it where we were able to split it between spirulina production. In fact, there's a guy at work. Well, I should be careful how much I say. But there's a guy who, if you knew his previous work history, you you would never believe that he would settle down to be a farmer. We'll leave it at that. Um, but a guy that would normally be a very scary human being to run into in Kingston. Uh, but he now is like our head spirulina guy, a guy that used to be a, a very rough dude, gangster guy, is now like managing tons and tons of spirulina which to me is comical as fuck but uh, uh we, we take the spirulina and dry it out into this flake uh, flakes or paste and then we grind up a bunch of mango roaches and soldier flies uh, that we freeze and then kill that way and grind it all up together to make kind of a paste so we can make pellets and then we feed them to the fish there in jamaica we don't have to buy any feed which is really nice the problem you have is is that uh, the iron so iron has to be chelated or it gets broken down very rapidly in an aquatic solution because of the oxygen. You have a highly oxygenated environment and keep the fish alive and the plants alive. Um, that oxidizes the iron and makes it non-available. It turns it from Fe2 to Fe3. Plants need Fe2. So we have to have a chelated iron, a DTPA iron, or citrus chelated iron, or fulvic chelated iron, or some type of chelated iron, depending on what organic or non-organic certification you're going for. Uh, in order to have that where it has that chemical ring around it to keep it from being immediately oxidized. Same thing with manganese. It's the other problem you have with hydroponics and aquaponics is that manganese is the other one that gets rapidly oxidized because of the chelation agents that are often used and because of the low natural bioavailability and high oxygen environments for those those two uh, minerals. So th those are really the two that you have you really can't get around supplementing. The other one that you have to supplement occasionally in aquaponics, aside from calcium and magnesium to a lesser extent, is molybdenum. And to let it in, in a pinch, you can use valinium. But um, plants have to convert that nitrate back to ammonia in a usable form of nitro uh, nitrogen, right? So they can't utilize nitrate in a, in, in a nitrate form. They have to convert it back. They have to utilize molybdenum in order to do that. So plants tend to strip down the molybdenum really rapidly in aquaponic systems and hydroponic systems because they have to do that back conversion because in aquatic solutions, it's almost always nit nitrate, not ammonia that's available as a nitrogen source. So um, uh, that's why oftentimes with like aquaponic or hydroponic lettuce farms, the first couple of runs are really good in red with their red sailless lettuce. It gets less red over time because they strip the molybdenum out. That molybdenum is also used for anthocyanin production, which is good for sales appeal. It's what makes your weed purple. Right, is the anthocyanin, it's a flavonoid, but it needs molybdenum to produce that flavonoid. 
So that's why, like, I love to spike molybdenum right before we go to flower, right? So I'll take it and I'll hit them with like 0.1 parts per million molybdenum, uh, you know, per gallon or whatever, and spike the shit out of it going into flower if it's a purple strain, because it'll just make it extreme because the plant will actually produce excess anthocyanin in order to basically dump that uh, molybdenum so it doesn't overutilize nitrogen uh, as a kind of a self-balancing mechanism. So you can utilize that to help overproduce uh, uh, anthocyanin uh, as a desirable effect for commercial reasons. Sorry to totally go off on a tangent, but. No, that was, oh, that was awesome. I always like to hear about anthocyanins, dude. Trust me. That's great info. I can't even say the words. I can't. I have trouble with molybdenum. Did I say yeah, it? I do too. No, yeah. you said it wrong. MD. Did I? Fuck you. I don't care. Molybdenum. Molybdenum. Whatever. Same. And Same. um <laughs> I don't I don't think I don't know if you mentioned it before when I stepped up for a second there, but uh the only place that I know you can even get that, I know uh Steve, you sell that on your website, right? Yeah, you can go to apmjnutes.com. Um Roger and I actually have gone through great lengths to source low heavy metal content um uh, minerals. Um, that will pass for cannabis ins inspections and for fish use um, so that you know you're not going to get anything that's going to kill your shrimp or fish or anything as long as you follow the directions if you don't follow the directions i, I can't vouch for it as long as you follow the directions you're going to have no problems um, so you can check that out over apmjnudes.com um, you can also get them through alpha chemical as well uh, on amazon if you're uh, you know really not wanting to go through a cannabis source that's good to hear about the the heavy metals because you know in your our discussion earlier i wanted to bring that up about uptaking heavy metals because this plant loves to do that you know <laughs> and uh i've noticed even growing in areas that are heavy farming areas if you're using well water that well water gets all that you know agricultural uh runoff and a lot of that contains heavy metals which this plant loves to uptake so uh, and of course we can pass or we can fail for testing, um, as we test that here in Michigan. Uh, so my question is, you know, do you see any increase in that in aquaponics or is it typically less? So in general, we have a lot fewer issues, although I will pull one up here for you. Hold on. Let me pull up the right window. Um, we actually had a customer reach out to me last year, uh, let me pull this up so that I can put it on the screen here. So this, and I, again, I, I edited the COA. So this is just the part that matters for the discussion. But they came in at 0.8 parts per million arsenic. Um, this was from overdosing kelp. People go crazy with the kelp and the um, uh, mineral rock dust. It's a glacial rock dust. Or rock phosphate that will cause this problem right so but kelp is the number one arsenic almost always uh is associated with overdosing a kelp um, you can immediately tell if someone's dose overdosing kelp if the arsenic and boron are both crazy high it's like 98 percent chance that it's overdosing a kelp um, it's certainly a problem not only in soil but also aquaponics but specifically only in people way overdosing kelp extracts or, or powdered kelp Great info, man. Thank you for that tip. Organic nutrients are not safe by default, right? It doesn't mean that they can do no harm. And I think that's something that right. a lot of people kind of, oh, it's organic, so it's fine, right? No, like you can still overdose it. It's like people think that you can use kelp for potassium. It's a very, very low percentage of potassium. Don't do that. 
Uh, people think like but, uh, there's there's different iron uh, kelp plus iron, right? Don't use it for kelp or for your iron source, right? Just use it as kelp as a trace nutrient element, and that's it. You know that that's all you should be self using it as a supplement for. Anything else is is a huge problem and will cause you to fail state testing. And I like alfalfa. You can use that as a replacement from kelp if you can't find a good kelp. Yep. First How often do you have to stock the tanks? Stock so and we, restock the tanks. Sure. So we tend to rotate out uh, the fish between uh, every one to two years, depending on fish species. Um, most of the time for neuro growers, we're utilizing butterfly koi, which allows us to have a really rapid turnover and much better um, dollar gained per inch gained on the fish uh, than most of the food production fish. Also in the United States, um, fish production is uh, aquaculture, which is regulated by the USDA's meat processing. Um, their inspectors can't set foot in a Schedule One facility. So unless you're doing yeah. CBD hemp or, uh, or <laughs> otherwise, we can actually get a permit to kill the fish. So we can sell them either whole and live or whole on ice, but we cannot cut them with a knife. Um, that's completely illegal. So we have to send them off to a third-party processor or we have to send them off to some other place that can handle them for us or sell them directly to the customers what? in a whole. Why can't the USDA step foot into a Schedule 1 facility, yet the EPA can? I don't know. All I know is we haven't had a single person been granted a meat processing license that had a cannabis license. They always immediately deny it. Hmm. That is a question for Google, I assume, or, a, or a, a very uh, very well-paid attorney probably, but, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, yes, yeah, probably some government mumble-jumble. Yeah. Basically because they don't want to touch it. They don't care to. They don't have to. There's nothing preventing them to, but they just don't want to push the envelope, and they say, fuck it, why? why oh, it? well, if they had the budget for me for it, trust me, they'd be, uh, they'd be going after it. <laughs> well, I mean, how many of these facilities exist, really? Um I can't imagine there's that many. That, Let alone I mean, in Georgia. Easy to target, though. That's what I'm. I mean, <laughs> I'm just trying to think from the other side, man. I've seen some uh, not so uh, palatable things lately, and you know, I don't know. It's just I, I don't want to get into it. I guess I'm just curious. I didn't even think it was legal in Georgia yet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I was surprised. saying too. I was like, oh, I didn't. Know I thought it was just, uh, yeah. CBD, right. but. Oh, cool. tomatoes. I forgot. That's what we were talking about. Hemp, hemp yeah. and tomatoes, right? Or just tomatoes? <laughs> yeah. Just tomatoes? Just tomatoes. Just tomatoes. <laughs> it's like uh, when you go into the old hardware stores and shit, you know, a few years ago, you would walk in and see yeah. like Big Bloom and shit like that. Like, oh, yeah, that's for tomatoes. Yeah. A few years ago. Well, I grew up with all my <laughs> indoor lights and nutrients. Mm -hmm. So what do you think, Chet? You, you guys are digging this, man? Because... You know, we were making jokes about me wanting to write shit down and screenshotting, but I know, <laughs> I know y'all can't uh, screenshot all this shit. You're going to have to watch it a couple times and come back to it. Fake, what are you holding? Got caught in top chat. Man, I got some flower rosin that uh, Spartan and I pressed yesterday. Ooh. Some of his uh, orange something. It's a jelly bean. Ooh. What, what temperature are you that pressing at? Fake. Oh, we do, I like to do it real low. We're doing 75 microns with 175. That a boy. And uh came out real nice. Smells like just like oranges. For how long? Oh, I don't know. It just varies like two minutes, two and a half minutes. Than, I would say less than five all the total. Yeah. What was the I've never material? seen four. What it was, was just some bud that uh bud? some flower Art? that There's Spartan some, had. A bunch of my smalls on my orange dream haze. Orange or the dream bird. haze, that's it. They call it orange dream haze, it's just a pheno of jelly bean that was selected. 
and was sent to me. And it's really orangey. So when are you guys going to save up enough for me to do, like, I would love to do a collaboration of Everyone's Grow and do a run oh, of, like, oh. you know, six, You seven, said it for I'm saving now. Yeah, everyone, like, throwing their, like, favorite one. And, you know, honestly, okay, so I would recommend doing Fresh Frozen, but we can do, you know, Dried Cured, whatever, because it's a ch it's challenging, to let's be honest, to transport Fresh frozen from seven different people to one. Yeah. Uh, well, that's but, a good point. Yeah, yeah. Unless you do uh, it another time. We can hub, we can hub it up because yeah, I got a fifteen cubic foot freezer. I was gonna say I'll drive around with a you know freezer uh, wired up to my battery if we have to. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but in any case, uh, if, if we were to go that route, um, let's see. Let's say there's eight of us. I need about two hundred grams of fresh frozen. So uh, if we're talking. If we're talking dry weight, we're looking at about 125 grams of dry weight. So just throwing it out there. I think we should do an MBGS uh, collab. Yeah, That'd man. be cool. That sounds like a plan. I mean, we could easily throw a fucking do an outdoor plant and fucking that's going to be more. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say everybody <laughs> in the next couple months just throw one plant in the freezer and uh, that, that'll probably do it. Rent an ice cream truck. Or <laughs> Dude, there I could go. see, I could okay. see you and Red in an ice cream truck, I'm but in, it's not ice cream. <laughs> it's <laughs> not ice cream. <laughs> There's no ice cream on this truck. No, Paint, we're painted gonna, up like secret no, background, and we're off. Oh, yeah, I like that paint. Like, we're bro. gonna live in it, also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pitch on the roof. My next one is I want to grow out on um, that bliss, the bliss bud, and you'd smash that and see how that translates yeah. into. That'd right be this nice is, to do that as fresh frozen to see what it really has when it's you know what I mean. Right out of the game. So to me, uh, to me, it's so sour diesely. I just want to let you know yeah, I'm always ready to collab with any of you guys on the panel. So you just you just let me know when. Oh boy. Is that a new adjective baked sour diesely. Yeah, <laughs> we know what it means. Yeah, hey, hey, well, that's I speak fluent Turpanese, and that's one of the words. These sour diesely, and uh, yeah, because so. yeah, there's uh, sour diesel is one half of the one of the parents is sour diesel, and then the other half there's sour diesel in it. So, yeah, yeah, that makes 75% sour diesel. It sounds like me, that's sour diesely. What you got, Ferroli? Uh, what is that? Retainer holder? <laughs> like, it might have originally been a retainer <laughs> holder. Uh, and it's been repurposed now to hold these um, little, little, well, they're called space hits. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, there's seven of them in here. I think there's about a third of a gram each. And we have very quickly destroyed them this weekend. And it is, like I said, I think about a third of a gram of. I think there's rosin, BHO, distillate, and like something maybe dry sift in there. So it's four different. Uh, oh, wow. And this is kind of new for me because I'm not a torch guy, but we're we're gonna hey, what up? we're gonna heat it up, heat up hey, the banger. We can do it. I, I gotta give you a shout out in that shirt for girly. That shirt is dope. <laughs> Thank you. Sounds uh, like they kind of make that those things. They just clean out the bottom of other jars and just threw it all together and said, "Here, we're gonna sell it." <laughs> It's similar to what I've been doing is dipping dabs in terps and then dabbing those. So. Yeah, they, I've seen those uh, those jars they've been selling now that are split Hashtag. halfway. Hashtag. Like half and half, yeah. Hashtag. How long do you heat yours up, Baked? 
I'm scared. I'm gonna light my beard on fire. I don't. My like turf's over 20 seconds. I forgot my fucking. Well, what if I'm taking a third of gram like quartz banger like? Oh, like, about 15 a seconds. Dude, you don't have a turbo that? meter? So <laughs> do you have that bad boy in the banger right now? Are you heating no, cold no, starting no, it? No, 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 so you're going to heat, no. heat the banger first and then drop no. it in just you like a dad? That. I don't even know how to cold start a third of cold a gram at a time. Cold starts, uh, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't make yeah, sense. Just cold start it. So, so you're just going all. You're just going all in on it. I'm just here to take fat dabs, guys. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Normally, this is regulated by digital electronic things, and here I am with. I'm pretty sure you're good I'm, by now, I'm bro. Burning hydrocarbons. This is normal for me. That's a, a pretty Aren't good torch. That torch yeah, hot. Yeah. hot. Hey, we got no. that going on over here. It's okay. There you go. Steve's getting the torch out. Here are the torches. Here we go. I have to admit, I was pretty bummed that. We didn't have a passing of the torch uh, on yeah. the beard catching on fire. <laughs> I'm so scared. I mean, that. let's be honest. We do need a new haps. Who's gonna? Spartan didn't it? even use a torch to do that. Spartan, that was all hemp. It was like a hempwick. that that happens to. He's going to why we have to stick to edels, hempwicks, and torches are dangerous. There's a time before you're a boomer where you're kind of cocooning into a boomer. What is it? A fucking chrysalis to become a boomer? Is that what you're there saying? There you go. <laughs> yeah. The fuck is that? Ta- what are you talking about? What a chrysalis? I'm saying. No, I'm saying Spartan's getting there. Oh. He yeah. It was fucking hempwick. What? He just called you. He just, he just said you were cocooning into. It's recession proof, bro. Damn the It's DJ not beard. Fired. It's not beard burning proof. Is my point. What are you talking so about? So that's What's why. That that's why we don't. That's why you don't have a a torch. <laughs> Called the big shot. Oh, I don't need a torch. What would I do? What would I do with a fucking torch? Light your beard on fire. That's circling right back. That puts such a fear into me that I'm always conscious of any flame around my beard. Even open up the oven, I get scared now. The oven? The oven? Yeah, sometimes this shit comes out hot when you open it up. You know, an easy big oven can't light you on fire. <laughs> well, that'll be stuck in my head, and I won't. I won't get scared. I'll just go taste first in and smell the brownies. Oh, brownies! Right now would be good. I just had some Dick's edibles. That was fucking good. Lemon berry. That's how. Oh yeah, favorite. that's one. Yeah, I like that one. Those nerds were good as fuck. Your time really one quiet nerd, in the background. Nerd wrapped ones. Yeah, I don't think it's coming through for the viewers. Especially if you have a lot of trim or dry sift and you got a lot of stuff in the air, it gets up into your hair, especially your dreads. I've had like, I've had a bunch of like just random like Keith and airborne Keith and stuff collect one of my dreads. I was smoking a bowl and it took, it took off all the little, oh, wow. um, like all the outside of it. And, no. and all the yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I my beard in a chainsaw too in Jamaica. That's why I cut it at nipple length. Oh, in a chainsaw. Yeah, oh, we were cutting man. trees, and it caught, caught, and I shut. I let go of the the gas right away, but it went, and it got stuck in the intake part where it winds up on the thing, and it was not the blade part, but on the back part. Yeah, and yeah, that was scary. So my beard used to double the length that it is now. Another thing we have to worry about. Gosh darn it. <laughs> I keep it cut right out. here because it kept getting caught in the zippers in my coats and jackets. I'm like, fuck that. <laughs> you know what? Frogging, no. it gets caught in the fucking, yeah, just, you got to keep it buttoned up. Or 
fold it up and then with like I used to take that in a paper clip or like a binder <laughs> clip and just binder clip it. He's got a chip bag clip <laughs> on it. He'll never live that bed, down but, if he yeah. ever does that at work. <laughs> I have waist like Forever <laughs> known as Frito Lays. <laughs> so, so when I go to grows, right, I can't use normal hair ties for for the biosecurity, I have to use paint strainers. So I just have paint strainers I always bring with me, and I'll just throw a five-gallon paint strainer over my head and tie it with the string, and that's good oh, enough wow. for the, the hair. Oh, right. You should start doing. <laughs> you should start using old uh, water hash screens. Let's get a two twenty bag. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like nah, bro. This is this is one sixty micron. Maybe I'm you safe. can collect the keef that's been falling out of your dreads when you're right? talking about it. <laughs> sifting it out. That's How long thing. do they go down? How to your knees? I so it's past my butt now. Yeah. They're ten wow. years old. Nice. I know yeah. Rasta Jeffs are way down there too. Yeah, no, Rasta Jeff has me by a good three to five years. Does he, he definitely has longer dreads for sure? I, aren't they heavy? Don't they pull they your hair? Heavy. Oh, I was gonna say they've. I, is that why you usually they wear them up and? Uh, yeah. So like, yeah. if I go to a grow, I'll tie them up into a turban kind of, mm -hmm. and it has the the it'll be squared up on the top of my head because then yeah. my neck muscles are you know it's just the weight straight down, which is a lot easier on your neck. Yeah. I'm picturing the back like, or like a Marge Simpson Marge beehive Simpson, is what I'm yeah. thinking of. <laughs> That's just heavy, man. Back there. I was just talking today about how like heavy my hair is on my head, but I can't imagine another three times. Like mine's only oh, three man. years old. Yeah. Two and a half years. Heavy, heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's wet. It's like if it rains, so I get caught in a rainstorm, it's heavy. Like my neck is like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All those years of Slayer but shows. Also, so I had really big dreads once before, and then my dad got sick, so I cut them off to get a couple of jobs to help pay for medical bills and stuff. When I cut my dreads off the first time, my neck had gotten so strong from having all that extra weight. When I would turn my head, I like damn near broke my neck because I would turn it like three times too fast because it's used to having the drag of the extra weight. <laughs> so it took me like a week to like not almost break my neck every day. That Your was calibration was off. Yeah. You, so wow. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many, how often you're wearing like dress shirts. But you ever, you know, get size for a dress shirt and notice that the size of your neck changed because of that? I, I haven't. No, I haven't measured my neck. It'd be kind of funny to like do like a monthly neck measurement in relation. It's got to. Gotta, it's got to have an effect, man. <laughs> it's got like a nineteen and a half now. <laughs> that would be interesting though. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> So uh, has there been any successful aquaponics that you've uh, heard of or at least maybe even consulted with that were instead of raising the fish for to be sold as food or meat, um, but maybe more exotic fish to be sold into like the pet industry or anything of like that? Or is that not really sustainable? It's totally something that's possible. But other than koi, I haven't seen anyone do anything other than koi. Um, Vertica in Oklahoma does large scale koi production. A lot of the farms start off with koi as their first run. Um, but uh, just because pet trade licenses and pet import export licenses, it can cost you anywhere from $400 to $1,200 versus all the bullshit with meat processing and that you can't even get it for cannabis, right? But they don't, the pet trade license doesn't, they don't give a fuck if it's weed or not, right? Like they, half of them smoke weed, 
there's a heavy overlap between the the drug producing people and the the pet trade so um anyone that's worked in the pet trade very long knows all about that i, I could i could probably go off on any number of 30 to 40 different stories down down that particular topic we got a little time we can get a couple in here oh yeah well so oh man so i can say it now because i think both places are closed but a lot of pet stores are fronts for gross or other um you know production facilities uh or have grows in the basement or in false walls that was a really common thing in philly i'm not going to name companies but there's a lot in the east coast that probably still exists to this day the original bodega yeah because thing here seriously too. i you know when i was, I, I get a first job when i was 12 years old i caught one of the i used to be able to the pet store is one of the only places i could ride my bike to in north philly right and I could ride my bike there and hang out, and it was a place I was allowed to be at. They didn't care I was there. My mom didn't care I was there, and I could ride my bike there, right? So it was a place to go and just go do something else. So I got to know the whole place really well. Well, I caught one of the employees stealing. So the guy fired him and offered me that guy's job on the spot when I was 12 years old. And that's how I got into the pet trade. Well, then about a year later, figured out that they're also doing lots of other growing as well, and you know, this, that, and the other. And and all kinds of other fun stuff. So that's how I got into this whole thing to begin with was from working in the pet trade. Um, and that's how I got into cannabis growing at all. Those had the best lights. Oh yeah. So that's where I was going with this. So we got paid, if we sold $5,000, we'd make 5% of that commission and 5% of anything we sold over that. Well, we just got really good at selling grow light kits because thousand watt HIDs back in the day weren't that cheap. And you sell somebody a six lighter or an eight lighter, like, you're going to hit your quota pretty quick. You just need to basically hit like one of those a month and you're going to, you know, along with your fish sales and you're going to get your chunk of change at the end of the month. So we got really good at setting up grow rooms equipment wise because we had all the equipment plus people, you know, if the police were watching, especially in, in Philadelphia, were watching the hydro stores, right? And the head shops, but they weren't watching the pet stores and they had the same fucking equipment. So people would come there to get their ventilation fans, to get their grow lights, to get their light bulbs, to get their EC meters, the pH meters, uh, the nice. pH up, pH down, like all the stuff that would be like, you know, at a hydro store that they'd be going there for. So um, that was a, that's how I got into the, knowing all the different equipment, especially lighting, um, was because it was incentivized based on sales back when I was younger, and then got into the grow side of it later on, working at, well, I won't name the company, but a large scale. Um, a company in, in northern Philadelphia on uh, greenhouses. We had eight greenhouses there. I got to learn about how to manage lots of different crops in terms of um, pest control and all that stuff, which was really good for dealing with a lot of the weird shit like lace bugs and stuff like that. When I first saw them in cannabis, I knew what they were because I had seen them on azaleas, right? And, and other stuff like that. So it was like, cool, I know how to deal with that, right? Whereas I think a lot of people in cannabis have only had bugs and looked at bugs for cannabis. Right. And I think that's definitely something that people should just spend time you know, go to any of the Reddits or any of the other forums out there that, that have different insects and say, hey, what's this bug or what's this plant problem? And just learn what those different things are, because occasionally you're going to end up with them in your garden. Right. So and you might as well learn for them without killing your own plants. There's plenty of people online killing plants. Uh, you don't need to do that. So, Steve, do you think aquaponics, aquaponics and what you do is a um, a growing or shrinking kind of segment of our industry and i'm also curious especially with the experience you have of being all the way back to 12 13 years old with the story you just told us what specific 
age group or demographic is doing this because I only know one person that does this and he's like borderline retired, just wanted a hobby, loves weed, loves fish, just does the shit in his basement. You know what I mean? Um, and he just like, it's like a passion for him. You know what I mean? It's not even about the cannabis. It's like a, that's like a side benefit of what he's doing, you know? Um, but this seems so niche to me, you know what I mean? And, and I don't hear it talked about too often, but sure. it's so freaking intriguing. <laughs> so the, there's a lot of like bad science around it and a lot of stuff that was kind of taught wrong. Uh, and then a lot of people that failed for other reasons. Um, the first aquaponic cannabis company was Green Relief Incorporated. They had one of their CEOs run off with like two thirds of the company's purse uh, or whatever, uh, I'm not getting into the details, but you can you can Google the details. But uh, they had a whole bunch of problems because they had CEO problems. Um, and there's a lot of other scenarios where uh, there was a company in uh, Hawaii that got arrested for growing cannabis. Uh, uh, and then part of their DEA um, sentencing was to discourage other people from utilizing cannabis for aquaponics. So they did a whole campaign and a whole tour where they talked about it, the, the friendlies, uh, friendly aquaponics. They were both sentenced to five years in jail. Uh, they served, uh, the wife served, and then the husband served so that they could have, you know, custody of the kids and all. Uh, and um, again, there's probably more details I need to get into, but part of their thing was to basically shit talk aquaponic cannabis growing uh, uh, as part of their sentencing. So it's like, well, yeah, like when you have a big company out there talking shit on it, but people don't know that it's part of their sentencing agreement. Um, yeah, people are not going to adapt to it quite as quickly. But um, when you actually look at the terpene values and some of the stuff, in fact, let me pull up uh, uh, one from one of the groups I work with out here. Yeah, what's your highest terpene uh, like lab result that you've had for flower? We, I mean, we've had we've had very high terpene levels uh, on the different ones. So this is a a recent one, but one of the things I wanted to point out is how different they are than what you get out of soil. So check this out. So this is the Wookstomper terpene profile. So it's transneridol, beta-caryophyllene, lemonine, cisneridol, humanine, and linalol and myrcene as the top five or top 10 or whatever, top six. Wow. Um, so you never see anything like that no. in, in soil, right? So we get these really, really large differences in, in uh, terpene expressions and radically different expressions compared to the same cuts in soil and things like that, which is super neat. Um, and this one hits like a freight train. In fact, I have some sitting right here on my desk, um, wow. and uh, it is one of my favorites. But hey, um, hey, Steve, what is uh, Nerolidol? What's that uh, uh, terpene like? It tastes kind of like and uh, smells kind of like like um, animal bedding, like a, a pine bark kind of thing. Not like pinene, but like that that animal bedding kind of smell. Almost like a cedar thing to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. kind of. Not not quite like cedar, but like a wood wood chip kind of smell. I just never see that one so high up and in, in right. Yeah, usually it's a very very tiny percentage. Um, and yeah, so this is the kind of cool stuff that we get with the uh, um, with that. And then we have the so this is the the tea or the cannabinoids as well for that same strain. But this is one of my favorite ones right now in Oklahoma. In terms of regular smoke, this shit gets me lit. Before we get too far off the terpenes and stuff, I love that you're sharing lab testing, by the way. This is amazing. Um, I, I am still curious to know what your highest terpene sure. uh, result has been because, you know, um, 
Live results are <laughs> often to be trusted, sometimes not. Um, sure. But it's, you know, the best kind of science we have, I think. And, you know, in, in figuring this all out. And if you're talking a big game about, you know, aquaponics increasing terpenes, I would love to see some some high lab results, some, you know, really high lab results. Sure. I'd have to I'd have to go through them all to find the highest. But we've had quite a few hit, you know, close to double digits or even above that uh, on total terps. Especially there was one strain that we did that was a cross between Girl Scout cookies and Girl Glue number four. That was fucking crazy. Do you happen yeah, to man. have the difference in that last graph with the terpene with the terpenes on um, the difference between the soil, like uh, that same strain run in soil and the terpenes well, that came out of it, as opposed to the ones run aquaponically? Sure. So the the woman that actually was the head of that study is mm -hmm. going to be on my show on the twenty eighth of April. She cool. also did a longer talk on during the second aquaponic cannabis conference that I did back in November. Um, it's uh, Danielle um, uh, Mightland uh, from Aquilitas. Um, she is a whole hour long talk with her. She goes through the soil uh, preparations and, and all that stuff in that talk. But she's going to be doing a follow up talk with another round of data, a third set of data and a bunch oh. more stuff as well here on in, in April. Awesome. Yeah. In fact, uh, well, that's one other cool thing coming up with my show. Um, Thursday is actually the six-year anniversary of my uh, Growing With Fishes podcast, so that's going to wow. be Wow, congrats, congratulations, huge. Thank you. Congrats. We actually uh, hunted down Mr. Green. Do you know who Mr. Green is? No. That's not the guy who was used to paint his whole head green and everything. Yes, and that guy. Yeah. No way. That's so, like the OG so, group video, man. So this guy... <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna a still shot of him up there so no one gets copyrighted. That's great, dude. But this guy, <laughs> basement awesome. guy, sunglasses, right? So this guy is gonna be our guest for our six-year anniversary. Yeah, he was yeah, the very dude. first video content I ever saw on cannabis back in like 1998 or 99. He had a VHS and DVD series called I Grow Chronic. And um, actually, hunted. You have no idea. I've been looking for this guy for like five years. I finally found a, a publishing company that he also made to create his book. I looked up the fucking legal registration for it and found a, a phone number for him, got a hold of him. So he's actually going to be on our show as our guest. That's it, it, again, super cool. He's one of the last people that we originally set out to get on the show. Um, so he's going to be our guest here on, on Thursday. I think that's wow. the first shit I ever first YouTube video. Cause I, somebody fucking just copied it. Like, Filmed it, yes. those VHS, yes, like dude. filmed it and put it on yes, YouTube. Dude. I think that's the very first weed yes, YouTube dude. video I ever watched. Oh, dude, that's that's nostalgic. Yeah, dude. So he, he, saw the picture I he didn't put anything out for like 10 years, and he just came out with a new book called Agro Chronic 2. So he's going to be coming on the show. I think we're the first people to do an actual interview with him, so it's going to be pretty fun. Very cool. That is really cool, dude. Just think of how many man. people that guy's video has inspired. How, how many people fucking poured over that? Right? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt, dude. That's a really good point, man. That was dude. back when like, I was watching my screen time, and I was afraid to be watching that stuff for too long. Red, man. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. 
What is like, that? Like, they won't mean? knock on your what door do you unless mean? you watch for like three hours. But if you only watch for two hours and 59 minutes, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, dude. Is this the fucking cannabis world's version of he's got a fucking the door and, shit so they pass and he goes, every, every caution that's given, you know, I take it. Hits you know, the you know, AOL button. Dude told me to watch your screen so, time. If I watch my screen so, time, he has a YouTube, he has an official YouTube channel now. If you want to show him some love, you can subscribe to him. It's JD Green on YouTube. So, JD yeah. Green. Wow. Yeah. Still got the same, same skit. There. He's, yeah. he's got his whole original. I love, uh, yeah, the whole original <laughs> thing is on there. So. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I feel like you are, yeah. Last from the past for sure. Can you imagine painting yourself green for every video? <laughs> <laughs> Especially when they make those green suits you could just fucking put on. You know, not back then. They didn't have more I know, or you could just now. like put sunglasses and a wig on. That's commitment. That's for sure. I have no idea if he's gonna dye himself green. I would imagine he will because we kind of talked about it, but I don't. I can't promise. <laughs> he's got a reputation, right? Yeah, people won't recognize him if he does. Encourage him to the smoke same on camera shade too. Of green. He's wanting to get on some other shows too, so maybe we'll have to get him on y'all's show as well. There we go. Get the OG on here. Did he yeah. say? Did, did he say where yeah. he is from? As far as like geolocation, is he? I know. Like, I know where he yeah, is. There. But I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave. Just saying, country wise. Okay, never mind. Yeah, he's in the U.S. How about that? Oh, he's in the U.S. Okay, he's on the West Coast of the U.S. How about that? All right. So. For some reason, I was thinking he was part, he might have been Canadian. I don't know why I was thinking that. I was kind of thinking that too. For some reason, yeah. me too, man. Maybe just because like there was a time where a lot of the videos were coming out of like exactly. Like, I remember like, what was it? Uh, Jorge Cervantes. Yeah, that. I yeah. felt like he was Canadian. He was not Canadian. I know, but like was, I felt like Re everyone was up there. Is is Remo? Is Remo Canadian? Remo's yes. got to yes. be. Remo yeah. is. Yeah. For sure. Okay. And then uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, right now. And Bubble Man and those dudes. Yeah, that's all more current stuff than even the Green Man. God, Man. dude, that was John know, 14, 15, 13, 14 years ago or something like that. I was searching. Hey, Red, you want to check out you my pog collection? Pog collection. <laughs> we we can trade pogs. I have a pog collection. You want to see my pog oh, collection? We're yeah, yeah, I'm oh, interested. Man. I've been up to that Embark facility in Vancouver. Right. That thing is crazy. It's 44,000 square foot extraction facility. It's huge. So what what do they have in a 44,000 extra 44,000 square foot extraction facility? A bunch of extraction equipment that's bigger than anything that you've seen before. <laughs> like well, uh, extraction tube the... big enough you can sit in. Have you seen the? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Have you seen it? The, have you seen it come out the finished end? Like, is it just like a, a giant ice cream soft serve? You know, like it's oh, got yeah. a dump. It's just got a dump. Oh, giant. Handle. Yeah. <laughs> about about seven, seven. I can't about believe you there. actually pulled out pogs. You pulled out his pog. Got pogs. We got a bunch of them. Yeah. Pog, pog, you be careful pog, now. Pog. You're gonna get so many DMs from the ladies. Abolished. <laughs> you need to you need to write down this time a, right before we need to get a get a, to get a Panamanian looking like he was taking a big old dong. So you need to put that in and send it to me, please. So he's talking about the soft serve to the face over there. Oh, 
We need to get abolished the mic arm. Oh yeah. They were talking about that before you hopped in. You muted. It... Not not you baked. Uh, oh abolished. abolished was. Yep. I was muted on the thing. I've been using the, the mic. This one actually has a mute button, but yeah, I need a serious arm. This mic weighs like ten pounds or so. Well you don't gotta hold it. Put it that's, on the stand. That's what she said. So you get some workout in. <laughs> yeah, when I get a stand, it'd be nice. Well, think of all the memes you can make with the way he's holding it. Well, I, I know. I mean, that's what he's asking for. <laughs> no, no. Spartan's asking for when I said something because I've got a video of him from Can of Cribs talking about uh, sucking on a hose. Oh, yeah. I that's why he wants, that. yeah. I gotta release that to the public. I forgot. <laughs> it's released. It's gonna be the only video on Bake's channel. It's just like a 10 second clip. <laughs> I'll make an Instagram just for it. He's been threatening Spartan with it every day. <laughs> I'm gonna release I'm gonna this. Release the, I'm gonna release the footage. Yeah. I can, think he goes, you just put your oh, mouth it, on it and suck it, on it. Bake, bake to just like record it while it's being played on your computer and you record it with your oh, phone. No, he no, I, it, yeah. I pulled it off of YouTube and I edited it so it repeats and it just goes, so you just put your mouth on it and you suck on it. So you just put your mouth on it and you suck on it. And I sent it to him. See, they bossed gold right there, man. Yeah, gold. go ahead and cut that one out of the <laughs> There you go. Yeah, there you go. You, do that again. You, Hold on. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. Full I'm screen for the ladies baked. Oh, it don't matter. I'll go back and zoom in. But you guys realize what kind of permission you're giving me here. Like you already seen the face swaps over the last. We have year, the You've already had full permission <laughs> for shit like that. Okay. Face swaps are amazing. Phallic objects for everybody. Oh lord. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Potent Pies. <laughs> it is after hash time, after all. Uh, so, so Steve, I have a serious question. I was going to have a serious Pope? question too, but you go ahead, okay. Haley. I have a serious question. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, Bake, yours theory. might be, yours might actually be subject related, but mine, I mean, is more relative, relevant to where he lived. Uh, so, Pats or Geno's? So, I would go over to South Street and go to John's Sticks. Oh, okay. And Gino's are okay, but John's is better. And then there's also like Steak and Hoagie Factory, which, if you're gonna like go in terms of total choices, yeah, Steak and Hoagie Factory is probably the best of all the different places in Philly because you can get like, first off, they're 24 hours, so you can go anytime, day or night to get it, whatever, and they deliver it 24 hours a day, which is fucking awesome. Mm. Uh, and they have a uh, like an Alfredo cheesesteak, so cheesesteak with Alfredo sauce and mushrooms, which is oh, okay. That's up my alley. What? And then they also have a breakfast cheesesteak. So if you're gonna go like hiking or you're gonna go do something all day and you're not gonna be able to eat, uh, you get this cheesesteak and they glue it all together with like an omelet and bacon and you know, like whatever vegetables you want on it and cheese, and it's like six to ten thousand calorie fucking cheesesteak <laughs> uh, it's like all protein not like sugar and man you eat one of those and you, you're good for all day to not eat it's so good sounds like what they do with pasties in the up i've seen some crazy <laughs> pasties up there like all right i guess i'm good for the day well i gotta get to philly sometime i still have never been out that way so if i go then the steak and hoagie factory that's what you said yep. okay yep. All right. They're, they're just also all over the. 
you can go to any part of the city and they have that so there's a lot of really good like like if you're gonna go cook your own food though you go down to the italian market on like 8th street um and, oh hell yeah and get like all kinds of shit that is my that's up my alley right there the italian market yeah well it's not just italian it's like yeah any kind of butchered meat any kind of vegetable any kind of cheese anything you want is on that street you know all the different different vendors that have everything you can think of where's uh patty's pub that so actually the original Patty's pub is in la i think um but there i think they have one now in philadelphia but it actually was shot in uh, a large portion of it was in la yeah that was one of my favorites yeah, I've I been through that. Philly, though. Philly's pretty cool. It's got a lot of the history stuff. There's some really cool venues and stuff in Philly because the place is so old. Yeah, like, exactly. One of old uh, Benjamin Franklin's bodegas is, uh, or bordellos, I guess, is, uh, is a nightclub, too, which is super cool. Oh, yeah, people crazy. don't realize that Ben Franklin was a super hoe when he went to France when he was the uh, fucking ambassador of the United States. So, he so, didn't want to come back to the U.S., man. That they're crazy orgies. Yeah, I was about to say, so they've got a nightclub in his Funny. house, and he's just like, this is fucking awesome. Are you my, my house turned into a fucking orgy. Look at those hairdos. Right? Y'all are making me <laughs> so hungry right now. Wow. Well. Definitely. Question. Your serious question baked. Go for it. Oh sir. yeah, let's get serious. serious. serious strains, potent punk. Yeah. Strains. What's your favorite strain to smoke? What's your favorite strain to grow? Have you grown any strains in aquaponics that have reacted like better in aquaponics? Like for instance, Mac One is known to be you know kind of slow and finicky. Has it you know has something like that? Like you've thrown it in aquaponics and it's like oh it it it's not you know a pain in the butt sure so um uh, as far as daily driver stuff i really like g13 hash as far as just like something i can puff on and work all day or um i have some really good um like longer flowering sativas like the blue hash i have a, a g3 or not a um, the blue hash which is a blue dream hash plant uh, which is an afghan one a blue dream um hash plant cross that I've been growing for a long time. That's another one that's very similar to that G13 hash that I can puff on all day. Gets me really high, but I can still stay focused and uh, energized all day. Uh, but then as far as growing, um, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, there's a strain called BSBB uh, by Mr. Green Jeans, and he's used that for a ton of different crosses, and I kind of like almost everything he's made out of that. Um, and that's probably, I guess, the one that sticks out of my mind, which is... Uh, Fuck, I'd have to look it up here. Hold on a second. It's yeah. like Island Sweet Skunk crossed with Blue Dream crossed with Jack Herrera, oh. I think wow. it is. I'm a big um, Blue Dream oh, fan. Good. I've got some of the yeah. Cascadian Dream going right now. Lots it should, but, should uh, be getting close, uh, right? Isn't it? I'm waiting. Yeah, well, I got, I've got. i staggered them. So, like, some went into flower. So, like, two of them are about 30, I don't know, maybe 25 days into flower. But anyways, I'm I'm waiting for Fergoli to ask what strain had the high double digit terps. I know he wants to ask that, but it was, sure. So the highest terps that we've gotten always was this Girl Scout cookies, uh, Gorilla Glue number four cross oh. that we did. That was always it was, that was that. the one okay. outlier that was just freakishly above everything else, um, and that was an F two that we did off of that. So that was the highest that we've had. I don't. I'm trying to find the COA. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you guys? 
do you guys pop a lot of seeds or do you mainly just you know run some some cuts so usually or... usually i try to like i have a bunch like in oklahoma i have a good base of stuff that we've been running between a couple of different facilities now so if someone needs something we can just shovel over a bunch of that like that wolf stomper that i showed you uh, we have a really good blue dream cut we have a really good og kush cut we have a couple of other just like basic bitch strains that are going to move on the shelf that we don't have to worry about that are pretty pm resistant and we don't have to worry about the growers being a little less experienced that i can just shovel in there it'll work and then we can get them on some other shit. and then we kind of grow whatever they want on top of that but you got to get them up to 60 to 70 percent production stuff that's just bringing in money and then they can fiddle with the rest but if a lot of times you have people that are growing way too many strains or they have strains that are caught sorry i keep hitting the mic uh, we get strains that um, uh, are constantly getting powdery mildew or whatever when, you know, 85% of the rest of the place isn't trash those, right? Why are you, why are you yep. spending more money in IPM? Just trash them, right? Like if you have everything else is working fine, like stop or that or keep one plant around for genetic preservation and then just get it the fuck out of your facility because it's Man, just I causing problems. Like, I see people struggle so much in the large scale commercial production with plants that, oh, well, I went to this fucking cup and I went, went and bought this from, you know, whatever the fuck breeder and no. fucking signed my dick in the bathroom with a Sharpie. <laughs> yep. That's why these seeds are important to me or whatever the fuck stupid story it is that they have. And, um, uh, uh, you know, I don't care, right? If it's costing you a lot of money and it's vectoring disease, get it the fuck out of the facility, right? Like people don't yeah. really break it down into a financial view. Like it's a resin factory, right? At the end of the day, if it's, if it's not producing, you know, on those types of, of numbers and you're spending a bunch of money on two or three strains, why should I go buy a whole bunch of bottles and treat the whole place for one or two strains? Like, it's just stupid. Like you can yeah. almost always find either a different pheno or a very similar strain that's not as much of a, a finicky bitch to, to fill that gap. You know, there's no reason to pull your hair out with, with baby strains that are just really weak. Yeah. Yeah, or just a different strain entirely. You know what I mean? Like, that's I I don't have tolerance for that kind of stuff in my garden, and I've I've you know lost a lot of strains to powdery mildew. But guess what strains I kept? The ones that didn't get powdery mildew because they were resistant to it, and that was worth something to me and worth keeping them around, even though it was just a matter of a dehumidifier dying over the weekend. You know what I mean? But shit happens, and you know, and if you're not prepared for it, and you've got everything invested into these strains that aren't genetically superior to the ones that you could be growing, well. You might be asking for problems so it's yeah it's sometimes it's better to just take the the better option i mean People you have to grow what you can bring to harvest you know what i mean you have to be able to harvest it otherwise you've wasted time and energy a lot of money people also you know especially for hydro or cocoa they don't run their silica high enough right that's another one that we see across the board way too low um, you know, it's not taught as something that's an essential nutrient, but it very much is an essential nutrient. And uh, we've seen, a, especially in lettuce, a f you know, five to seven day increase in shelf life for lettuce and leafy greens. Uh, and then a, a night and day difference when you get above 60 parts per million in an aquatic solution um, for um, uh, uh, black spot leaf mold and lettuce and then powdery mildew and, and um, squash and cannabis. Speaking of all those other crops, is what's what's the most common thing really grown in aquaponics? I can't believe it's cannabis yet, but what what are they growing mostly in aquaponics right now? Sure, the vast majority is basil and and uh, lettuce. Those are the, the lettuce being number one, basil probably being number two. Um, that's the most uh, number you know 
most produced stuff in aquaponics. I mean, it's because it's high turnover. You can grow heads of lettuce in four to six weeks, eight weeks in the winter uh, and have them, you know, turning over all the time. So it's profitable that way. It tastes better too with all the, the microbes and everything. It, it has a really good flavor profile compared to hydro lettuce. So you could, that's, that's just cool. I'm just thinking in my head is like you could have a big aquaponics setup and you could supplement your, your cannabis with other crops. You, you could have like a portion where you just have brassicas like that or, you know, set floats and you can fucking grow just about anything probably, I'd imagine. So you mentioned brassicas. Brassica is something I would never recommend growing with cannabis. Um, well, Brassicas is actually release an allopathy that will kill mycorrhizal fungi through the root system. Um, okay. The only time they don't in some species is with the presence of trichoderma. But um, in general, in fact, the state of California published a whole thing about invasive mustard species and um, its effect on uh, native mycorrhizal species. For uh, That's basically how it inhibits the growth of native plants is it kills the mycorrhizal fungi that natively exists there and then makes the soil shitty for them to grow in. So that's that's how it dominates. Yeah, Which is an issue with lettuce because it's such a fast turnaround. It doesn't really do that. Yeah. Where, so um, uh, you never want to grow azaleas or a brassicas near cannabis for that reason. So same kind of problem. Is that what walnut trees are doing or is that something that the walnut is? So walnuts and oaks have a different compound, but same idea. Okay. All right. Yep. Doing like a quick scan of my gardens now that, that I'm thinking about it when I grow my stuff outside to think if I have any azaleas out there. I don't think I do. Yeah, you can absolutely grow brassicas in your garden. Just give them their own bed, right? Give them yeah. their own area where they're just by themselves. Um, good stuff to grow with cannabis. I, I'm a huge fan of thyme. Thyme is really good because it's uh, the thyme, thymol is really insect resistant. Um, it hosts a lot of the same mycorrhizal species as cannabis, the um, uh, whatever uh, irregularis. I always forget the genus. Um, someone maybe can remember here um, uh, the genus of that mycorrhizae that's uh, associated for cannabis. But um, a lot of the common mycorrhizae. Rhizophagi? Right, yeah, rhizophagus uh, irregularis. Um, that one is, is very commonly found naturally on thyme. So it's a really good one just to maintain those those mycorrhizae, uh, and it's also extremely insect resistant, and then it shades the ground, right? So it does all the things that you want for a ground cover. Uh, it's way better than plastic. Um, and you know, perennial. You like an ounce of seed per acre if you, you distribute it right uh, for, for regular production. You can go four times that if you really want to go heavy production, and it's way cheaper per acre than plastic and will give you better results. And, um, the, and it's not just to remember, it's not solely about the mycorrhizae and the roots interacting with the cannabis to increase the terpene production the aerosols the volatile compounds coming out of the the plant's leaves and, and are being uptaken by the stomata of the leaves and triggering their own uh, impact and increase in terpenes on the plants as well that's why it's really good to grow aromatic herbs around cannabis uh, as a, a both as repellents and as um, uh, you know terpene boosters because the plants respond to that if that plant gets attacked by something it's going to release those compounds and trigger the cannabis to uh, you know increase its own compounds so it's not just about the root system it's also about the aromatics that are in that microclimate around the plant as well that's often overlooked or not spoken about in terms of boosting terps. But if you're trying to maximize it in an outdoor environment and reduce your pest load, you know, it's, you're going to see it both if you do a side by side in the, and look at the numbers in terms of, um, you know, act secondary metabolite production. 
And the whole IPM factor where it's bringing in all your beneficials, all your beneficial predator bugs. I put my outdoor last year right next to my outdoor herb garden, and it was fucking amazing to see all the all the predators just out there fucking zapping anything that moved. The craziest thing I saw outdoor was the little crab spiders. Those things are relentless. They will fuck up anything, and they just hang out in your leaves. Those other guys are cool. Yeah. I love them. Becca's doing a crab dance. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what they do. They just sit there. I fucking love them. Fucking awesome. I always, follow, I always look at them as a good luck to me because, uh, what do you call it? My horoscope is cancer and my sign is a crab. It's a crab. So I always look at it as like, oh, that's a good thing for me. They've always fucking done me right. Are you talking about those little red things? They're usually a light color. No, it's called a crab spider, I think. What are yeah. those little tiny microscopic red spiders? Oh, I don't know. It's I like a mite. About. Those are yeah, mites. Yeah, yeah, those are a mite. Mites. Yeah, I don't think you want those. No, they could oh. be a good one. It could be the. Um, yeah. no, I'm not uh, talking about, about mites. I think what you're talking about, about like, there. it would come on moss down in Florida, little red bugs. We call them chiggers. But, oh no, I know uh, what a chigger is. Those things are uh, nasty. Yeah, oh, These are just little tiny red spiders that you just see in the summertime, like when you're sitting outside. Yeah, I think those are red mites. They're mites. Oh. They're mites. Yeah. 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 I used to have them at my girl a few years ago and I think I asked Zenithal and they were harmless. Is it these? Are they furry? Furry. Red velvet mites? Maybe Ooh. probably. I don't know. Like those are good size. Tiny little spider. I wouldn't be able to see them now. I Jeez. can't say any of this stuff, but is it Phytoseid predator mite? Is that the one that I read? I was, uh. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. Those little guys. These little guys. I mean, Those yeah, I guess guys. so. Yeah. Like that one, uh, third row down, second from the left. Like that little, little. Oh, wait, are they the... That's, it says mite. Amblystius. Go back up. Amblystius California. Right there, right there. You were on it. Amblystius Californicus. Yeah, the, yeah. Thank you for good. finishing that for me. <laughs> no, that's different. Amblystius Californicus are not that red. They're just like when you're sitting outside and you're just hanging out around the picnic table. That one says it's, red spider mite. I know what you're talking <laughs> spider about. Spider mite. Spray yeah, that all the time. are, then. I, mean, I was going to mention, yeah. uh, just be careful with these ones. You, you do get these in Michigan, and these will bite you, and they will hurt for three to six months afterwards. That was awesome for your garden. They will kill everything what that, that, that they can pierce. A wheel bug? It's called a that wheel bug. That's a bug to me. I don't think yeah. I've encountered one of those yet. No. Yeah. Never seen that either, yeah. I don't want to, I don't think. Yeah. They're all good for your grasshoppers and the butterflies that lay eggs on your plants. They're really good. To have in the garden just don't touch with them but they're 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 not aggressive right if you're pruning your plants and you're slowly working your way around the plant they'll totally like move to the part that you've already like they're they're not aggressive at all they're just oh, yeah I, they're chill wheel bugs a member of the assassin bug family oh yeah i've heard that those hurt yeah uh, those that's crazy. I've never used assassin bugs in my garden yet. Yeah, it made me think of the assassin bug because the way that it had it folded underneath. Because the assassin bug does the same thing. It doesn't uh -huh. pull that thing out until it's ready to fuck something up. 
Like mantis shrimp. Yeah. Uh, I think I showed Spartan a mantis shrimp. Those aureus are really good for your garden, too. If, if you're looking for a general predator to release in your garden, just remember they will bite you. Uh, so don't release them too close to harvest because they're, they're, they're fucking expensive. To deal with. Yeah, they're not the cheapest ones either, but they're good because they'll attack, you know, everything across the board. They'll eat thrips, they'll eat aphids, they'll eat, you know, they don't really care as long as it's meat. Hey, didn't you're in you're in Pennsylvania? Didn't you guys have a invasion of like lantern bugs or something? Some Did you get hit with those? Spotted lanternfly. Originally yeah. from Philly, but I'm, I don't currently live there. But yeah, uh, there's a lantern bug problem there at the moment. In Oklahoma. Oh, okay. I'm in Oklahoma these days. Oh, the the new west. The new so if you had to give uh, one piece of advice with all your experience to both a new grower, someone that's maybe a, you know, a caregiver or just, you know, trying it out in their basement or their closet or a, a spare bedroom or something like that. One piece of advice to them and one piece of advice to someone that's already in the commercial industry. Um, what would you tell both those people? Not necessarily the same thing, but what would, what would your advice be for those two types of people? Well, so for someone that would be applicable to both, I would go with liquid IMO. Uh, liquid IMO is just the best thing you can apply to your garden in terms of making your plants healthier and get more minerals out of the, whatever base you're using and um, just improving plant growth across the board. Um, and then on the commercial scale, really just like inspect your plants every fucking day. So many places I grow, they're not scouting every day. And that just seems insane to me. Like you should have random samples of leaves from every single grow room every single day being scouted uh, along with the general inspection through the facility and if you're not doing that like you're fucking up i think that's the other one of the other things that along with not trashing stuff in, in your like don't like just if a, a strain is a pain in the ass and a finicky bitch trash it if you're a commercial scale don't have time for that shit like just move on there's there's too many strains that are good out there now to, to waste time on baby strains that you need to just baby the shit out of it. I just, I can't stand it. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I like that advice too. Yeah. I say that a lot. I think. I'm like, yeah. If it, looks at, if it looks at me sideways, get rid of it. Fuck this. Well, we and that's it. the thing <laughs> you, in the, in the culture, you get these people that can be stuck on, on hype and like, it's like, well, if it's not performing, I don't give a shit what the name is. Right. Well, like, as a as a medical patient, I used to get really stuck on I need to have this specific strain because that's what I need to make myself feel better. And now that I'm, you know, been doing this for a while longer, I realize that's fine. But if it doesn't work in my environment, I can figure out what it is about that plant, whether it's a terpene or a cannabinoid or whatever. And I can come at it from a different angle so that I can plug the right plant into my environment rather than you know, constantly like, oh man, I, I got it to week five this time. And then it pooped out on me and, you know, you got to have your meds. Yeah. How often are you trying new things, Potent? Uh, so I have a couple of clients where we have everything locked down and then I have one or two places where I have little places where I can experiment with stuff. So uh, pretty much always have something that we're testing between home and then the, 
the small side grow that we have at the one facility I work at. So little R and D on the side kind of thing. Yeah. Once yeah. the Georgia grow gets bigger, we'll we'll have a lot more space because we'll have a basically like four whole small bays that'll be eight feet long that we can do side by sides in and stuff like that. Are there anything, you know, anything in particular that you're looking for as a grower in those facilities that you want to grow? I mean, is it strictly based on uh, you know, weight and volume production, or are you trying to have a balance of maybe different terpene profiles, or are you just trying to hit tight, high THC numbers? You know, what is it? Or maybe it's just all about, you know, the plants grown for you, you know? Sure. So we've been experimenting a lot with different ferments. In fact, I could pull up a thing real quick. Um, so we're working on trying to get away from mineral inputs and trying to figure out what plants we can ferment to fully balance a nutrient solution. Um, so we have here we go correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like you're trying to find a strain that works with your system right no no no. so we're taking different plant inputs and fermenting them and seeing how it affects the terpene expressions and the mineral inputs of the plants um, okay okay so we have all the different plants the different mineral parts per million so like potassium what the different content is and max min max for different parts um, you know, iron, you know, iodine, fluorine, uh, arsenic, whatever, 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 um, in this huge database I've been working on. And then all the test kits, so you can test for all those different things. Um, uh, so if you email me at uh, opennutrientproject.gmail.com, we're working on getting it up as a website and everything as well, um, where it'll be publicly available so people can make their own ferments and teas and composts and all that kind of stuff in one centralized um there, there was a lot of different testing equipment in there. It looks like maybe some of it's repeatable, but that was all very affordable. I mean, yeah, yeah. The idea is to try to give people the resources that they can have for the home scale, so that we can get as many people testing as many different combinations of teas and ferments at whatever they're already making. I want them to test it and have access to some test it, so we can start to centralize this data, so they can just post, "Hey, I made it this certain way. This is what the nutrient level was." this is what I got when I made it this particular way and you might want to try it, you know, or whatever. But uh, if we can do this, then we can get people away from the Syngenta. I went to Africa and they were so reliant on all the fertilizer companies and everything. It was super refreshing to teach them KNF and it like totally was mind blowing to them that they could make a lot of the resources they need, but we need to figure, fill out the data side of this. So right. working on this kind of stuff and make it publicly available and have everybody working on it, you know, at whatever por portion they can afford to do, even if they're just testing the stuff that's only relevant to them, it's still feeding into the central database of, of, of testing or, around all these types of things. So, um, right. Yeah. It's, it's one thing to have or create or test data, but that's, it's a whole different thing when you start collaborating and corroborating all this data and then, you know, implementing formulas to then produce results that show you this mass scale of something. And I, I see Open Nutrient Project, and I hope that's what it is, because yep. I, I'd love to see, um, you know, I see Google Spreadsheets or Excel or something down there. And I, at first I was like, oh, man, how cool would that be to have like just this? google doc or something that everyone could have access to an input on or something and then i'm like wait shouldn't there be like a wikipedia or something for this that we can just all collaborate on you know with this with this data but with some level of moderation i guess but no this is great man so there's a phosphorus content and then you can highlight over it 
and click it it'll take you to where the source material came from so you can see where that nutrient test came from and, and this is all open and accessible to anybody do you need a an account so right now we're, we're taking invites uh you got to email me and i'll share it with you we don't um we don't have the link out publicly yet but we will soon we're trying to get it into a website format to where it's like mm -hmm. people can just visit it and not have to log into the google part but we're going to release the file here soon we're just finishing up polishing it up to make it look a little cleaner uh, fill out one or two additional things but we also have like all kinds of different um resources where is it here so liquid testing you can see all the different you know nutrient tests wow testing ranges you can just do low resolution tests if you need to but you know wow. any test that you can think of um or I, mean, I gotta finish adding the multimeters and stuff but you can even test for tannins and lead and you know all kinds of stuff so if you really want to get fancy with it um uh, and then also in terms of just different nutrients, I mean, um, you know, molybdenum, copper, cobalt, um, you know, arsenic, cadmium, lead, mercury. Um, we also have additional plant lists that were don't list parts per million, but list like high in certain nutrients along with the original source link back to wherever we got the data from. Um, so it's kind of like as many of these types of resources as we could find that was publicly available into one centralized place with yeah. a link back to the original source That's material. Super cool. That's amazing, man. Yeah, you just gotta find some like uh, you know SQL or database like artist that can put this into a web format or something somehow. Yeah, and the EPA limits so that people know what what their limits are and all that. So trying to get as much stuff that's you know relevant into this as possible. Um, and still, you know, honoring the original source material. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been a, a late night labor of love I've been working on. <laughs> How many years you got into this thing? If we can build this toolbox and everyone can do all their different organic projects that they're working on, compost, teas, compost, uh, liquid IMO ferments, um, you know, whatever your jam is on this, at least you have the material to quantify a balanced nutrient solution now because there is no centralized way for this, but it could get people off of purchasing fertilizers. They could just take a survey of the plants they have access to, figure out which blend of those they need to blend and away they go, right? And that's kind of the ultimate um, goal with this project is you know, build the tool that people can utilize to get away from fertilizer use at all, because we don't need to do this. We can fertilize it with through liquid IMO ferments or um, uh, lactobacillus ferments, or even just basic composting. Uh, to get these into a hyper-available form and, and, you know, again, just get people off having to buy these resources anymore. I tell you what, these these regen guys are amazing, aren't they? I, seriously, they blow my mind every time I talk to one of you guys that are, like, involved in these conferences and stuff because it's just, like, it it's it's it, it seems like a new technology but it's just science you know what i mean it's just basic science and we've just been like stripping it out trying to find the easiest path forward for so long and you know for good reason too but i'm glad that we can now kind of open it up to this side of things and see how this can um you know making our environment work for us it feels like what was your biggest challenge running this system in africa compared to here uh the biggest problem we had out there the two problems so one um, power is fleeting out there. So we had guaranteed power from 11 p.m. to about 6 a.m. After Outside of that, it's a crapshoot. Um, you may or may not have power the rest of the day. So uh, having to make sure, you know, basically have our own power grid that we installed on the property was very, uh, uh -huh. one of the first priorities. 
that was a pain in the ass. And then um, once we got all that down, but thankfully solar power is very common in Africa. So you can call up a guy and have them there like two days later and you got your system. You know, it's not a huge problem in that regard. But um, and then the other thing was just importing stuff. If I needed something that wasn't common in, in that area, then it was like 20 to 30 days from when I was going to get it. Unless I could get through South Africa. Uh, wow. If I could get it through South Africa, it was going to be like, Three to five days so there was no like trip to the hydro store there was a grow store in you know harare but like they didn't have most most of the shit they and they had paraquat for sale in the pesticide section right it's not a place you're going to find stuff that you'd want to use for cannabis you know wow. <laughs> they have the peroxide next to the ammonium nitrate you know really genius <laughs> <laughs> Ask Timothy we, uh, we got about two minutes left before our outro. Do you have anything that you would like to promote or you know your website and sure, yeah. let me uh, pull this up real quick. I will say uh, the main uh, regenerative conference is coming up. Um, I will throw the link up. You can go regenerative organic cannabis.com. I'll take you over to the website uh, up in Maine. It's about two and a half, three hours from Boston. Um, well, myself, Kevin Jodry, Susan Wainwright Evans, Chris Trump, uh, Michael Box, uh, Josh Rutherford, uh, a bunch of breeders, uh, a bunch of cool other people will be there as well. Um, uh, so, we'll, uh, uh, yeah, it's always a really good time. We have a huge seed swap on Sundays. Um, I know I always end up getting, you know, 50 to 100 new strains every time uh, I go to one of the seed swaps on those. So, a uh, really good place to get all kinds of cool genetics. I picked up some Australian bastard cannabis. You've got to have quite here. the box seeds what's that you have to have quite the seed collection now i have yeah i have over a thousand cultivars now in my collection wow. um, um, but uh and then also um you can find me at potent products on soundcloud youtube itunes uh all the things um and uh, i have a class apmjclass.com uh, marty and i have a whole teachable class over 700 lectures along with uh two live sessions lessons each month we add new content uh, every month or two, uh, and then all kinds of like behind-the-scenes farm tours of, of uh, commercial facilities and things that uh, are not available uh, on the YouTube and stuff like that. So, I feel like that qualifies us for like at least a bachelor's. Seven hundred lectures? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Holy well, like, crap, dude! Yeah. So originally it was a four-day class, and then now that we refilmed it, it's way longer than that because uh, we've added a ton of content from that original four-day course. But then also like. When we did it for pre-recorded we could just kind of give our full explanation and talk like all the stuff that we know on a topic so it's nice because yeah it's a little bit longer format and we do need to make like a tldr version i'll be honest with Yay. you so one of our students was like can you make like a a fast track version because you got you know, else, man someone you know, else about a certain topic <laughs> for like 40 minutes they're like okay well we can move to the next slide or whatever and that's fine but um uh, it is kind of really cool because you can kind of fully flesh out some of the topics that you don't really necessarily have a chance or time to do in, in a weekend course or a week-long course. Um, and then also like the hands-on demonstrations and showing three or four different ways to do the same technique and stuff like that is really cool with the, the pre-recorded stuff. So, Thank you, sir. Thank you very much for Thank joining you. us. Check out Stephen at Potent Ponics on Instagram. Check out the, uh, the conference, Region Conference. We appreciate you very much for spending some time with us. Have a good night. Yeah.